You're listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Vicky Marinka, a podcast bringing you interesting conversations about careers in communications. Today, I'm talking with George Blizzard. George has been running her own business for over 15 years. The PR network is a successful virtual network, which she and her business partner set up long before virtual working was a thing. She's an advocate for flexible working in all of its forms, and that's the subject of today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Vicky. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you. So I always start by asking a couple of questions which give you the chance to introduce yourself. So let's dive into those. First, mm-hmm. give me your elevator pitch and how you describe what you do to strangers. I run a virtual PR communications agency working across 40 countries with senior consultants from all over the world, um, working for big uh, brands like Purple Bricks, Workday, Zipcar and others. A very concise elevator pitch. <laughs> And can you give me a potted history of your career and how you got to where you are? Yes, I did a business and French degree at the University of Westminster. And as part of that, I did a year out working in France. Um, So I arrived in Paris in 98 when they just won the World Cup, actually, which is a bit of a nightmare. Um, And I fell in love with PR. So that's the first kind of experience I had. I came back to the UK as I was finishing my degree. I started temping an attempt at the Telegraph which led me to meet Trini and Susanna. And I worked for them for a bit, actually. So I worked their first ever kind of, I think it was one of the first ever retail startups, um, online startups, um, ready to wear. But when that went bust in the kind of dot-com disaster of 2000, my old boss from Paris got in touch and he'd gone to work at Byte. So I went into tech PR and that's kind of where it all started. I met Nikki shortly after I met some of my bestest friends actually at Byte and then the rest is history. We set up the PR network in 2005. So you mentioned Nikki there, your business partner, and you job share with her. Yes. So can you tell me how that happened in the first place and how you make it work? Yeah, so it's um, a bit of a long story. We met in 2003 at Hendu. We both worked in PR. We both lived down the road from each other um, and we just got on brilliantly my company, where I was at the time, Byte was looking for a freelancer. Nikki had decided to take the plunge. So she came and worked with us at Byte for a bit. And we started this kind of germ of an idea. Um, we saw lots of amazing women leave the industry. And we thought, well, actually, what can we do? What can we do that's different? I was about to have my first daughter. So we came up with the idea of kind of a network of freelancers. So Nikki put it to the test. And then when I was on maternity leave, I joined and we set up the PR network. It was a really simple idea where people would work really flexibly from where they were, whichever days they wanted to do, we build teams. Um, I think the first year, there's only maybe a handful of us. Um, now we are 2,000 people in 40 countries, billing not nearly 4 million a year. So it's kind of come on a long way in 15 years. The big reason we were able to do that was our job share, because over that time period, we've had children, um, we've been through various life-changing situations, but we always set up the business knowing that we wanted to do it as a partnership, but knowing that at that time we'd have different kind of situations going on in our personal lives. And we wanted to kind of blend our work and our home life. We basically worked three days a week each, or we did at that point, and we split the week. And then when one of us was on maternity leave, we worked full time and it kind of shifted on and on. But we, we, sat, we share everything from major decisions about the business um, to how we hire, to when we work, to who we work for, completely split down the line. There's things that naturally fall into her camp or mine, depending on what that may be. I perhaps do more on the client side. She does more on the kind of brand and comps and marketing side. But pretty much we are even Stevens. 
And how have you made job sharing a success? What tips would you give to people who are interested in this? Yeah, I think the most important thing is chemistry. And I think that's, you know, it's one of my biggest regrets. There's not more people that do have a job share or do benefit from a job share. Um, But chemistry is hugely important. You have to really get on with that person. And as I kind of alluded to, you have to have shared goals or shared visions. So Nikki and I always knew we wanted a family and we always knew we wanted to continue our careers. So we're both really committed to that. You have to have a similar working style. I think our clients and our team would say that we're similar, but there are differences. But you have to agree on certain kind of modus operandi, I suppose, like how you communicate with people, how quickly you respond. You need to have those same kind of service level agreements, I suppose. You know, the beauty of it is there's also that difference as well. So we are different people, obviously. We bring out different, I suppose, different kind of uh, personality traits in each other. So Nikki would say that she's perhaps more details oriented when I'm around, maybe in her personal life, she's less so, but at work was I'm perhaps more creative and then vice versa. So we kind of complement each other as well as having a very similar outlook, but I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think it's probably helped us both stay in an industry that's tricky to be a working mum by having each other. It's helped us through, you know, two banking crashes and a, a pandemic because we could share the problems share the the decisions um, and that's been invaluable she's like my biggest cheerleader and I am to her as well so it's a huge sense of partnership but you know I, we call I call her my work wife and it really is like that you know there's nothing that she doesn't know about me or what's going on in my mind and vice versa but there is you know there's as I say there's these practical things you need to to have in play also a lot of it is just down to chemistry honesty trust and committing to each other you know it's no good having a job chef one of you wants to leave after a year and go and do something different you know you kind of need to be in this for the longer term how do you sell sort of job sharing to your clients are there benefits that you talk about with your clients yeah I mean it, we always joke it's buy one get one free <laughs> because there is that you know there is two people that are often involved on their account you know less so now we're more concerned with the kind of operations of the business but in the past there would be two people thinking about their business thinking about their situations and bringing that kind of diversity of thought we talk about that a lot that's really important and it's seamless you know I think that's the worry for lots of people and perhaps employers when they're thinking about job share is you know how's that handover work what if something falls between the cracks it's very rarely does you know we have really great comms and you need that to make sure it is seamless and it should feel seamless. Clients clients get it. I think they understand they get two of us, two very passionate, motivated, talkative people. Why do you think there aren't more job sharers? I mean, in my very long recruitment career, I've only come across a handful of people who successfully job share and very few clients ever give it to us as an option. I know it's such a shame. I think part of the problem is finding that perfect fit. So Nikki and I perhaps didn't set out to job share, but that became the natural natural result of the circumstance, really, that, you know, I was having, I just had my first child when we set up the business. So that felt natural that we would, we would split it that way. And I think you probably need a certain amount of dating to make that happen. We'd known each other a couple of years by then. And so we knew it would work. I think there's a risk to the employer that, okay, if the job share fails, how do I replace the other person? And, and there's probably more, I suppose, more red tape perhaps to get through. You know, we're in the lucky position. We work for ourselves. So we haven't had to worry about that. It's about how it works for us. But I think as well, it's not really talked about as much. So you see job sharing in the teaching world. I mean, lots of my children's schools, there's often kind of a job share 
uh, of a class or whatever or subject we don't really see it in the business world and I think role modeling is you know with everything is hugely important the more people can see that as an option the more they might be proactive about finding their own job share and making that a really easy decision for their employer. Now you mentioned earlier women leaving the industry and it's definitely something that I see you know women in their in their midlife I suppose 40s and beyond they do leave permanent employment why is that do you think? Yeah, so um, so why women? So women in particular, I think, is definitely a childcare issue. Um, it's inflexible. Uh, you know, childcare isn't a very flexible situation. Nurseries shut at a certain time. You do have to kind of work within reasonable hours, whether that's school hours or nursery. And, and employers haven't considered up until recently any flexibility in that. And I think perhaps COVID and the pandemic will shift that. More than ever, we're aware of people's home lives and what motivates them and and what they have going on at home and I think that's made employers much more understanding of flexible working and actually they can see that you can perhaps get more done you know it used to be a, an old adage that you know you give something to a working mum and you'll get it done much quicker because they do have that set time frame which they have to work they have to deliver that project because they know they've got to pick up a child so they get stuff done really quickly there's no procrastination but I think it's an absolute crying shame in the past that people would get to a point that either they didn't feel that their employer welcomed a flexible working approach or job share or part-time or they felt that their clients perhaps wouldn't appreciate that and I think you know I really hope the last year has seen that there's so many more options for men and women um, and joint parental leave and all of these kind of new initiatives should hopefully make that a lot a lot more easier for people and my I've got three girls and I really hope my girls benefit from flexible working and when they come to work in the workplace. What do you think the benefits are of working from home and having this network of freelancers around the world who are all working from home? You know, from a business perspective, obviously there's a cost saving. You know, we pass that cost saving on to our clients by being virtual. We do have a club because I actually believe in a hybrid way of working. I believe there is a cause for actually being in a room with people, but being much more flexible about when you choose to do that and not being kind of constrained by having fixed costs for offices. Being at home, being motivated because it works for your life has a huge benefit I think the people who work for us all over the world some of them work from places offices some of them work from home the beauty of it is they don't work in our premises so they work from wherever they need to work and I think that's that's the key it's not necessarily all home working how is your culture impacted by the fact that people are all working remotely and independently and is it difficult to build a company culture that way I don't think it's difficult obviously we've been doing this 15 years and I think we've learned a lot along the way. I would say you have to perhaps be more outgoing and overt in your culture and, you know, make sure that the values you hold dear are really obvious to everyone else. So if someone doesn't want to get involved with you because they don't agree with your values or the way you work, that's really clear from day one. And I think you can get that sense from people. That doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert, but it just means that everything we do kind of threads through so we believe in transparency we talk about like team transparency trust um, and time you know in time in the sense that we 
you know, really conscious of other people's time, respectful of people's time. Transparency is that we're very transparent in how we work and how we communicate and how we communicate with the client um, and team in that we're all in it together. And obviously trust, trust is a huge factor when you work remotely or in a virtual network like we do. We have to really trust that everyone who works with us is doing their utmost and they have to trust that we're doing the best by them as well. And that comes down to how we operate and the operational way as well not just on the PR and comm side but we commit to pay people even when we haven't been paid because we want them to trust that we're doing our best for them and and behaving the best possible way we can as a business now over the years that's that's been you know a bit of a disaster for us at times because we you know clients haven't paid us or something's happened along that chain but those associates those freelance associates we work with have always trusted us that we would do the best by them and, and pay them and we did having those values you perhaps have to really hammer them home a bit more when you aren't working in the same four walls as someone but very quickly you know the proof's always in the pudding people kind of learn about you and, and learn to build trust in you has covid impacted on the way you work at all or is it sort of business as usual in a in a strange way we were lucky in the sense we didn't have that huge learning curve at the beginning we were already set up to work like this everyone had computers everyone everyone had a way of working already remotely and virtually so that that wasn't such an issue however you know we have 16 children between us that was pretty tough you know when childcare suddenly dropped off the face of the planet and clients still needed work to be done so um you know we have a a virtual kind of methodology but a human approach so we very quickly turned on kind of flexible family first values you know people are able to work whenever suited them to work around their children also I suppose we had to dial up the culture even more you know we we felt that people could feel really isolated and that's not just our team but our associates around the world who were all going through the pandemic at very different times so we put on kind of online sessions where you can meet for a cup of tea or a drink um, and just chew the fat and kind of connect with someone else. We ran training sessions, um, looking at everything from how to look after your personal brand on LinkedIn through to social media, creative writing, whole load of sessions that anyone could drop into at any point free of charge to kind of hone their skills and also connect with other humans all over the planet. Do you find it difficult to separate yourself from work, to separate your personal and work life in the two days that you're not working? Yes, absolutely. And that, in fact, we have been working full time since the pandemic because it just felt like the right thing to do. And it's really hard it's for, for me, part time. You probably know this as well, but, you know, finding that ideal time is probably three days. So you do have that time to switch off because you don't switch off immediately when you turn the computer off. But, you know, we've tried four days and obviously currently working full time at the minute so hard because that then bleeds into your weekends and I think that's part a symptom of being perhaps a control freak but also the fact that it's your own business it's so hard to, to stop thinking about it particularly when times are tough or you've got worries for other people and what they're going through very hard to take time out however that said for the first time in a very long time I took last week off and I didn't check my computer, my email, my Twitter, LinkedIn, anything the whole week because I knew Nikki was there. So she was handling everything for me just as I am for her this week. And that was so liberating. I mean, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything particularly exciting. But just to know that I didn't have to think about it was enough um, to help me relax. Running your own business, working virtually, working during a pandemic, you know, being a parent, all of these things are highly 
stressful at times. And it is really important, as I've just realized, just to stop and not think about it for a while. Great. I think I'd find it just as stressful leaving social media alone for a week as as actually (laughs) being on social media for a week. That's just me. Is there anything that you miss about working in a traditional office environment? There's always a serendipity of like working with someone that you might not have worked with or having a chat, you know, just discussing something with someone in a different team, perhaps it gives you a different perspective that leads to brilliant things. I think you can still do that. As I say, we work for members clubs, currently the century prior to that home house, Adam Street, all over London. And you get to know people there as well. And I have a brilliant network of people from all different industries that I tend to run ideas past or things that worry me. I'm, as you can tell, a big talker. And the other thing is obviously the social aspect. There's so much fun from working in big teams. I used to love being at Byte. We had brilliant social times. But Nikki and I were really keen from day one to make sure the PR network felt like that too. So hopefully if you met any of our associates, they would say, oh, yes, they always have brilliant parties twice a year or they're always up for meeting up and having you know fun. So there's a lot of fun as well. So post-COVID, companies are now talking about returning to work or possibly not returning to the office. And I'd like to know what you think of, you know, the future of home working versus hybrid working versus office working. Obviously, your model is going to continue to work for you. But what do you think about big corporates and and what they should do in the future? Yes, obviously, Goldman Sachs have gone back this week, haven't they? And and lots of uh, my friends who work in different places being called back over staggering periods until the I think until August when things start to take shape I absolutely think there's a place for offices and there's a place for working remotely and virtual working isn't just about location either it's about so much more than that but I think hybrid is probably you know where everyone's calling it and I think that's right they're having a place where you choose to be virtual and working remotely perhaps you're working on something that needs some headspace but also going somewhere where you can choose to be part of a collaboration and, and being amongst other people is also really important. I think the last year has shown that we all crave other humans. So I think you need to have a little bit of both. And even when, you know, for 15 years we've done this, Nikki and I would still meet in London two or three times a week. So we didn't have an office, but we always had a meetup point. And I think that's, we've really missed that. You know, we actually got emotional when we met for the first time as the uh, lockdown was lifted because it'd been the first time, probably the longest time we've ever been apart from each other since we set the business up. So it is really important face to face. That isn't, you know, flexible working doesn't mean to be need to be on your own. So at the end of each episode, as you know, George, I ask everyone a similar set of questions. So let's kick off with what one campaign you will be remembered for. I struggle with this because I probably haven't done campaigns for a very long time, but I suppose if I was to kind of look at it slightly differently, I'd probably like to be a member for having perhaps one of the best, longest and strongest job shares in our industry. I think that's what I'd like to be remembered for. So who from history would you most like to have had the opportunity to work with or do the communication for? Gosh, I thought about this so long and hard. It's such a tricky one. Without sounding like a complete history geek, probably Queen Elizabeth I. Just I've always been fascinated by her and had a massive girl crush on her when I was younger and just looking at her now with the kind of lens of a communicator I mean what a brilliant brand she created we have no idea the truth of that I mean there's so many books written on it but you know this kind of she created the ultimate brand in the Virgin Queen I mean she risked her life uh, she completely changed the face of our country dominated the world stage when that was unheard of for a woman so I'd probably say her I'd love to know 
you know, what was going on behind the scenes and who was in control of that brand. And what advice would you give to someone just starting their comms career or looking for their first uh, communications opportunity? Yeah, as you can probably guess in the PR network, we're all about networking, connections. I think look at every opportunity as as an opportunity to make a really strong and authentic connection. And then on top of that, I would say go early on in trying to find a mentor or a sponsor. Obviously, the difference is sponsor is someone who works in your organisation and a mentor is someone who works more uh, broadly in the industry. But Nikki and I worked for three years running the Women in PR mentoring scheme. I'm a mentor now on two different schemes. And actually, I get so much value from that. I learn so much from the mentees. But I think it's hugely important if, and I wish I, if I had my time again, I would absolutely have a more formal mentor. I think I was really lucky. I had lots of people I could call on and I did ask for lots of help. Um, but yes, absolutely mentor, get a mentor, get someone that you rate and you trust um, who can help guide you and do it from day one. There's no need to wait. How would you advise people get a mentor? And there's some brilliant schemes out there. So I would look at that. Um, But if you want something that's perhaps less formal is just to approach someone you rate or you respect. And I think there's no harm. It's very flattering to be asked to be a mentor. And I say this to anyone who's considering being a mentor. It's hugely valuable. It's a big ask and it's a big time commitment. But you learn a lot about yourself and the decisions you've made. Equally, you learn so much about a new generation. And what predictions do you have for the future of communications? You know, I'm hoping that there'll be more flexibility. I'm hoping that's across, you know, not just our industry, but all the world of work. And I hope that will continue. But equally, I think we've, as a public, we are much more savvy. Um, I think the rise of ESG, which actually I learned loads about when you interviewed Steve on your podcast, I think that's a hugely positive thing. That and B Corps, I think now the way that companies are being looked at in how they operate and comms being a piece of that is, is just brilliant for me. I think it, I think we all need to be much more savvy as a consumer and as a consumer of news as well. And I think the more that companies understand that and change the way they behave and realize that actually we do judge, uh, you know, as a public, we do judge people on how they operate, how they treat their staff, how they treat the supply chain, how ethical they are. And then I think that will have a massively positive impact on society. What's the most ridiculous or embarrassing thing you've done in the name of communications? Gosh, you know, there's probably too many to count. A couple <laughs> of things. Obviously, I worked at Trini, with Trini and Susanna, so I can tell you there's an absolute howlers there. Um, <laughs> we had to, you know, we had to do apple diets, all sorts of things. Robbie Williams came to the office party, so it was, a, it was like absolutely fabulous. But I think one that, to keep it real, um, one that struck with me, Nikki and I, we set up the business pretty early on. There was a time when we were pitching for something and, you know, timing is everything for us. It wasn't this time, but we both, Nikki had just come back from maternity leave and I just found out I was pregnant with my second child and I had to meet her Waterloo. Our parents had to join us to push buggies around whilst waiting for us to have a pitch where I had to brief Nikki while she was in the toilet pumping milk. So it was just, it was, you know, absolutely horrific looking back on it, but actually quite amusing because it just shows you how much we had to go through. You know, it's not all glamour, ladies. And it was, <laughs> um, it was really stressful at the time, but it just, again, it cements for me that, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We have put a lot into this business and had to do some really ridiculous things, um, but we did it as a team. And, you know, I think we won that piece of business as well. But yeah, we never had to do it again. It's lovely to be able to share those experiences with someone who you're so close to. And I'm sure that there are lots of women who've got 
pumping stories. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's not very glamorous, but it's a reality, isn't it? When you're a working mum and you want to keep working, you have to do some of these things that aren't so glamorous, but hopefully in the longer run lead to good things. Indeed. Thank you so much, George. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Vicky. You've been listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. If you'd like to get hold of me, I'm on the usual social media channels with the handle The DSTM Podcast. I also have a new website to host all my episodes. Visit vickymarinka.com and you'll find resources about corporate comms, careers and professional development. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and colleagues and don't forget to subscribe for more interesting conversations about careers and communications. Until next time, thanks for listening.